So we're now into week six of lockdown, apparently. Are you familiar with the phrase, stay crazy? I feel like I knew this phrase, but I didn't know where it came from. So I looked it up this week and learned something new. Apparently the word stir is slang for prison. And here's one definition I came across. Stay crazy, to be stay crazy is to become acutely anxious, restless, irritable, irrational and or depressed from remaining for too long in an unstimulating, confined and or isolated environment. That sounds like a pretty good summary to me of how the last few weeks has felt for some of us. But in these few moments, I want to explore with you the idea of restlessness in life more generally, if you like. We're back in Psalm 23, which I'm suggesting is a kind of antidote to the toxic poisons that can so often make their way into our spiritual bloodstreams. And perhaps one of these toxins is restlessness. I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not wanting to be insensitive to our current struggles or add to our anxieties. I, please understand I'm thinking here more about life as a whole. Listen to David again here in verse one of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, because that's true, I shall not be in want. This is an expression of contentment rather than agitation or restlessness. Sometimes our lives can be characterized by the nagging thought that something is missing. But what David says here sounds more like completeness. I lack nothing. David's whole life is, is, is marked by a quiet calmness rather than a troubling restlessness. Now, I, I think it could be easy for us to read these words and dismiss them as if David we're living in some kind of ancient dream world here. Or maybe we hear them and think our lives are far too complicated in 2020 for this to be remotely possible for people like us. But I don't think this is a fantasy. And here are two things that I think David doesn't mean. First of all, David is not saying here that his life is free from trouble. We know that David lived a very eventful life and experienced all kinds of trauma. And even later in this psalm, David himself speaks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So David isn't saying here in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore my life is easy. And secondly, I don't think David is saying here that he has lost his enthusiasm or passion. 
for example, sometimes if we've experienced hurt or rejection, I think we can respond to that by closing down our desires in order to protect ourselves from being disappointed again in the future. That may well, in some cases, be understandable. But David was certainly not a man with low aspirations. He was a leader. He was energetic and decisive. So when we read verse 1 of Psalm 23, David isn't trying to achieve a state of contentment here that is fake by either being in denial about reality or by somehow giving up hope. This is not a form of escapism from life. This is the source of his strength to face it. What we have here is a simple, authentic expression of David's deep confidence in God's loving care, right in the midst of real life. So where does our restlessness come from? And how do we get at this kind of contentment that David seems to know here? The dictionary defines restlessness very simply as the inability to rest or relax. And we are very complex creatures, aren't we, as human beings? I find it interesting that for some of us, restlessness is caused by boredom. While on the other hand, for others of us, restlessness is often caused by high levels of anxiety. There are lots of reasons we could be restless in our lives, but maybe one of the most concrete and obvious reasons that we can lack contentment in our lives is to do with our stuff. So let, let's start briefly by thinking about the way adverts can either create or play on our restlessness. Often the adverts that we see, they, they, they're trying to awaken desires within us by making us feel incomplete. After all, none of us wants to be uncomfortable or bored or thought of as nobodies or uncool or to have to wait. And so the adverts we see tend to pick up on all these fears and they try to sell us solutions that promise comfort and entertainment and status and style and even instant access. It's often the case that adverts are not actually selling pure product, but rather the promise of a lifestyle behind the product that will somehow be satisfying to us. And of course, for us, technology massively adds to this, doesn't it? Apparently, the average person now sees between five and 10,000 ads every day, five to 10,000 ads every day. And it starts so young too. 30 years ago in 1990, um, $100 million was spent per year on kids' adverts in the US. By the year 2000, 
that figure had grown to $2 billion. And the latest statistics suggest that over $12 billion per year is now spent on appealing to children through advertisements. The, the idea apparently is to stimulate something that marketeers call pester power. And if you've been a parent for more than 10 minutes, I think you might know what that is. But we're, we're not that different as adults in some ways. There is often this restlessness within us to find the things that we believe would complete us, make us happy, bring contentment and fulfillment into our lives. And it, we, we've started with material things because it could be something tangible, but it might equally be a relationship or a career. It might simply be a desire to be well thought of amongst our peers. I want to suggest that our restlessness has deeper spiritual roots. Think about this. We could say that the very first advert that tried to sell a tangible product that would somehow satisfy an inward restless desire was put up in the Garden of Eden by a snake. And the important thing was not so much the fruit, but what the serpent implied the fruit could deliver. In the garden, the serpent insinuated at least three things. First of all, that humans were somehow incomplete as they were. Secondly, that God was incapable of satisfying them completely, or worse, deliberately withholding something in order to limit them and control them. And then thirdly, that taking and eating the fruit would be the ultimate great solution that would fulfill all of these newly forming restless dreams. They believed the lie and quickly came to the conclusion that the good God who had given them everything was now not enough for them. But it was a grubby lie. And humans have been spiritually restless ever since that moment, constantly trying to fill God-shaped holes within ourselves with all kinds of things that were never intended to be and could never ultimately actually be a substitute for him. I think this is one of the reasons that our restlessness is so toxic. And I'm highlighting it here because it is very striking to me that this Garden of Eden scenario is the exact opposite of Psalm 23. In the garden, the serpent was selling the lie if God is your shepherd, you will always be in want. Whereas David here remarkably comes to a radically different conclusion 
the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. There was an old theologian called Augustine who famously said, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Augustine captures the deep longing in all of our hearts for something beyond us that can both complete us and satisfy us. But he reminds us that this completeness will not ultimately be found in romance or wealth or great knowledge, but rather in the God who made us and who loves us. Let me just say three things generally about contentment. First of all, it's good for us to remember that the good things we enjoy in life are ultimately gifts from God. God is good and kind and generous, not harsh or stingy or dull. When we remember this, we it will help us. We, we, we ought to be thankful, generous and responsible rather than grumpy, selfish or careless. But secondly, I want to say that the good things we enjoy, as well as being gifts from God, good gifts from God, can become dangerous to us. They can become dangerous to us in our relationship with God. We love the gifts, but not the giver. When the good things that God gives to us become more important to us than God himself is, it says something about what we love most. And in the passage that was read earlier to us from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus also talked a lot about how the sin of worry can reveal a lack of faith in God's goodness. A wise person once said that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. Worry empties today of its strength. But the good things that God gives to us can also um, cause issues in our relationships with others. First of all, there's the danger of wishing that we were someone else and had someone else's life or someone else's stuff rather than our own. There's the danger of judging each other by the stuff that we own. And what about the danger of us loving things and neglecting people? There's the, there's the temptation too, of course, to justify all kinds of wrong behaviours in order to get what we think we need or deserve in life. All of these dangers are rooted in the belief that certain things will complete us and satisfy us even though we know deep down that they never can or will in an ultimate sense. 
it perhaps seems more accurate to say that instead of satisfying us, the things we desire are often actually enslaving us. We can't live without the things that we believe will make us happy, so we, we cherish them and live for them and protect them with all of our might. And we get angry and sad if anyone threatens them because life wouldn't be worth living without those things. Even if we're not religious, our love of things becomes a kind of worship. But we weren't created to worship things. But the maker of all things, as Augustine reminded us, we were created to find our rest in God. And David in Psalm 23 here nails that sentiment, the Lord is my shepherd. I therefore have everything I need. Thirdly, and we'll close with this, I, I want to suggest to you that we need Jesus more than we need anything else. It's not that other things are bad, but ultimately and eternally, we need Jesus more than anything else. Jesus famously said on one occasion that it would be no profit for any of us if we gained the whole world, if it meant losing our soul. Jesus entered our restless world to bring us the peace of contentment. One verse in the Bible that I really love expresses this very powerfully indeed. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Though Jesus is Lord and King, he gave up everything to come and find us in our restlessness. Against the backdrop of a real world that so often feels in turmoil, like it does right now, and in the face of the powerful attraction of all of our false hopes that are perhaps more clearly seen for what they are right now, I love how Jesus rolls up his sleeves and gets involved. And always in such a masterful way, rather than out of any sense of restlessness. And this eventually points us to the cross where Jesus took our sorry place, bearing in himself our spiritual bankruptcy in order to give us all of himself and make us eternally rich. Anyone who has Jesus therefore has everything and more. So the very real contrast that Psalm 23 draws here is between a life marked by restlessness and incompleteness and if-onlys and one that in the midst of real life has found lasting refuge 
in the strong and loving arms of the Good Shepherd. In these coronavirus times, I hope you don't get too stir crazy. But remember this. Last week, we were using this song to ask, who do you belong to? This week, I'm asking you, are you content? I pray that this psalm will be an antidote to the poisonous toxin of restlessness. And that you will be able to say with David, in this real world and with great passion, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want.